All right, well, welcome again. Hey, listen, I love, listen, I mean, if I were to name like the top things in my life that I love to be a part of, it would be the church gathering, all right? And so I love the opportunity that we get to worship. I love the opportunity that we get to preach and speak and learn from the word. I just, man, so I'm excited about tonight. We are in this series called Wonder, all right? In case you didn't pick that up yet or you're new around here, we're in this series because here's what we believe. We believe that as a church, when we come together and we worship or we teach the word or we do a number of things, it's a a way of living the Jesus life that actually gives us an opportunity to experience the wonder of the kingdom of heaven. Think about that. Where heaven and earth collide, it's a picture of the church because we're a doorway and a seeing what God has been bringing into our world. And so for many of us, When we sing, we experience this idea of wonder. When we read the word, our minds are taken to a place. In fact, you remember in the New Testament when the church explodes, it says people were seeing these things and they were experiencing these things and they were struck with awe. Do you remember that? They were struck with this idea of wonder because something otherworldly was touching earth. And so we get to experience that as part of the church. But here's the other part of this. For those of us on the inside, we, we know that. We're, if, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we understand that there's more to our world than what we can see. But if you're not familiar with church, if you're not familiar with following Jesus, you have questions like, I wonder why people get together in a room and sing. That's kind of weird because their only reference point is karaoke. And they're like, oh, man, that was a cool karaoke moment. I actually heard somebody say that about the church. I was like, wow, you are far from church. Okay. But, um, but yes, karaoke is a good thing. But he, so here's what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about communion. I wonder why the church gathers and takes communion. For those of us who maybe are unfamiliar with this, we, we, there's a point in our service where we'll take a piece of bread and a cup and we'll spend some time reflecting and then we'll take those. And if you're not familiar, you're like, wow, that's a weird snack right in the middle of the service And it just makes me angry because it's not enough to do anything. So we're going to talk about what it actually is that we're doing with this. And here's what's interesting about this. There are actually five different names for communion in the New Testament. And I was listening to a message. This pastor, John Mark Comer, kind of brought these to light for me. And I was like, man, it is so helpful to listen and understand all these different names that we have for communion. And so first off, we'll start with number one. Um, It's actually communion. Okay, it comes from, if you're a note taker, I'm going to just fly through some stuff, write it down. This might feel a little bit more like teachy. And so if you'd like that thing, go for it. If you don't, fake it. All right, that's the rule in church. Um, I'm just kidding. We don't do that here. Okay, communion. That's the first name that the early church referred to this meal as. It comes from 1 Corinthians 10, verse 16. And it was talking about they came together and they participated. There's a participation. The word is koinonia. Can you say that? Koinonia. It's this idea of community. It's fellowship. It's partnership. It's participating in something. And the context for the Lord's Supper is most often a meal. People gathered in a home around a table. And this idea of communion comes from this idea of koinonio, communion with God and with 
one another. So the whole point is we're in this together. Elbow somebody next to you. Say, we're in this together. It's me and you. All right, let's do this. So here's the deal. Communion is this picture of we're one family, but not just this family. It's the church in our world participating, listen to this, with the historic church since the time of Jesus. We're stepping into a community that is a whole lot bigger than us. And it's all about union with Christ, communion with him. And so that's the first one. Second one is this, the Eucharist. The Eucharist, depending on if you came from a different church tradition, you might have like come from a Catholic tradition and it's like, oh, we're going to take the Eucharist now. Well, let me tell you where that comes from, all right? Mark 14, verse 23, it says, And he, Jesus, took the cup, and when he had given thanks, all right? That word thanks, giving thanks, come from Eucharist, whoop, I'm going to read it right here. Eucharisteo, all right? The Eucharist. It is this idea of when you come gather for this meal. All right, get this picture. You come as a community gathering in this meal. The point is to give thanks. Because you're saying, God, you provided for me. When I didn't see a way out of this, you met me here. You protected me. You provided for me. You protected me from myself. You, and so it's this idea of when you come and you gather, you're giving thanks. It's this idea of the Eucharist. It's the idea of saying, like, God, you showed up. Thank you, because it wouldn't be the same without you. All right, so here's the next one. Number three, the Lord's Supper. Many of us have referred to it as that. Um, when you're reading scripture, you'll see it entitled in different passages, the Lord's Supper. It's referenced in 1 Corinthians 11:20. The idea is the church starts referring to these names of communion. But listen to this. The Lord's Supper, the idea is that this is not just a supper. Right? This is not just a meal together. This is the Lord's meal. It became something that was a whole lot more significant. In many ways, we talk about it as a sacred meal because it was kind of set apart as special. Okay, so the Lord's Supper, it's this idea of a covenant meal. Okay, you've probably heard that language before. It's this idea, I've, I'm reminding myself that I'm in covenant. Think about this. Marriage is a covenant. And so when you come to the Lord's Supper, you come to the Lord's table, and you take communion as a believer, you are again saying, I am in covenant with creator God. Like he and I are in an eternal relationship with one another. When I take this bread and I take this cup, I am actually participating in his eternal kingdom because he made a way for me to have a covenant relationship with him. In fact, this is why it transitioned from a once a year feast celebration in Israel's history to the early church practicing this every week because they're coming to the point where they're saying every week I need to be reminded I'm in covenant with God. My actions have eternal ramifications. I'm in relationship with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Lord suffers a reminder that this is a covenant that we are a part of. It's not just a snack. It's not just a meal. This is the Lord's meal. This is the Lord's supper. That's why, for those of us, uh, those of you who are not followers of Jesus, when you come, it would not be the Lord's supper for you because you are not in covenant with him. That's why the scripture teaches, like, this, this is not for you. It doesn't make sense yet. You haven't entered into an eternal relationship with him. You're invited into that, 
Doors wide open. Come, be a part of this. Enter into covenant with God because he's a protector. He's a provider. He's going to make a way for you. But for you, it is just a meal. It is just supper. It is not the Lord's supper. That's why you see that in scripture. Number four, it's referred to as the breaking of bread. Acts 2.42, which our church has kind of built uh, um, our understanding of what we do and why we do it around this verse. Listen to what it says. Acts 2.42, it says, And they, the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. All right, that's why we preach the word every week. To the fellowship. That's the same word, koinonia, meaning that's why we're pushing people. Got to get into a discipleship group. You've got to be a part of what's happening beyond this gathering. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. This central meal, this practice that has become normative for the church gathering that speaks to the gospel. It's a breaking of bread because they took the practice. Jesus broke bread and gave it to them and the name became the practice. And they devoted themselves to the prayers. Fifth, this one's kind of interesting. It's called the love feast. So just imagine for me for a second. You invite your friend to church. And they say, well, okay, well, tell me about it. What do you do? Oh, well, we sing songs, what we call worship, because it reminds us of the, excuse me, theological truths of the kingdom. And so we sing these things. And we preach the word because we believe that, listen, the, the ways of Jesus are the absolute best ways of living. There's no other way of living. And so we teach from the scriptures, and we have a love feast. That'd be interesting. Some of your friends would be like, you know what, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> then other of your friends would be like, you know what, that sounds awesome. And they'd be sorely disappointed, right? It's like, you know what, you need church, you know. So it was, but, but it was this idea, it comes from agape, right? And, and Jude references this idea of, man, there are people sneaking into your communities, coming to your love feast, and they're making it all about themselves. They're manipulating these groups. And so in Jude 12, it talks about this idea of, you know, being on guard. But this idea of the love feast, a people identified, right? They will know that you are my disciples by what? Your love for one another. And so this idea of a community coming together, defined by love, living for the glory of God. And so these, you got the name, the love feast. But here's what's interesting about all these. In my mind, you'll notice that each of these references are a practice. It's a gathering around a table. It's a, it's a meal. The context is you would share a meal together, and then you would stop and go, now let us take the Lord's Supper. And this is why we continue to make a big deal about discipleship groups. Because we're saying you've got to move from rows and get around a table. You've got to move into deeper relationships. Not only do you benefit from having relationships, significant relationships with one another, but you need to grow in your relationship with God. And that happens better, hear me, around a table, not in a row. So Pastor Cam says this all the time. The best thing about our church does not happen right here. It happens in homes. It happens when relationships are growing as they're pursuing Christ. So we're always talking about that. But the reason for the table is to communicate the significance of our relationship with Jesus and with one another. So here's the question. With regard to this practice, and again, this is central to the gathering of the church since the time of Jesus. Think about that. 
Think of how much history and war and craziness that has happened in our world from that time till now. And yet this practice remains central to it. So where did it come from? That is a great question and I'm going to try to answer it. So if you've got a Bible, open it to Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26. That's where we're going to camp out for the rest of our time together. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. We're going to put passages up here. But I want to encourage you. Listen, we are a church of the word. That means you need to be in it. You need to be growing in it, pursuing it, engaging in the word because in these words is life. Okay, you get that? So bring your Bibles, mark it up and and ask questions and and do your thing. All right, Matthew chapter 26. Y'all ready? I'm going to start regardless. We're in verse 17. Here's what it says. Now on the first day of unleavened bread, now this is referring to a feast of unleavened bread, pointing people back to the historical event when God liberated his people out of Egypt. They celebrate the Passover during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So that is the first day of this feast. And the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. And I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And so the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. So let me give you a quick glimpse. And listen, we're going to be flying through this. Okay, so I want to encourage you, go to Exodus chapter 12. Read this entire story because this Passover is the context for which Jesus is teaching and therefore initiating the Lord's Supper. So unless you understand Passover, you don't really understand communion. All right, so read it for yourself. We're going to do a quick flyby. So the people of God, they were called the Israelites. They were in captivity for 430 years. Some of us have been praying for a year about something, and we're like, man, I'm exhausted by this. Right? Some of, us been, some of you have been praying decades. How many of you have been praying 430 years for God to show up and do something? Listen, this is a big deal. And so for 430 years, the people of God are going, have you forgotten us? Where are you? Please help us. Okay? And finally, God gets fed up with the oppression of the Israelites. And so he uses Moses to liberate his people from Egypt. And what he does is he uses ten plagues. Here's what he does with these ten plagues. God is saying, I am greater than. I'm greater than your stuff. I'm greater than your authorities. I'm greater than your kingdom. I'm great. And so the whole point he's making is God is greater than whatever you're bringing to the table. And so after nine plagues, Pharaoh is still hardened to this. He is not relenting in this. And even scripture says Pharaoh hardens his heart. God hardens his heart. God's got his, he's got more to do. He's like, no, 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 no. We, we're going the distance on this one. I got one more. I got one more plague that I need to bring upon Egypt. And so the tenth plague, listen to this, was the death of every firstborn. Think of what that would do to a community. It would totally shatter them. And that's what God needed them to see. God is greater than. So he brings the tenth plague. However, the way that a household was spared is this, listen to this. If they listened to God's instructions and did what he said, as the Israelites 
in their household, if they listened to God's instructions and they did what he said, they would be spared from this tenth plague, death itself. All right? Look at what God instructs his people. He says, I want you to offer a sacrificial lamb. Meaning I want you to find a perfect lamb and I want you to offer it as a sacrifice. For us, sacrifices are kind of weird because we don't do that today. And if you do, you are weird. Okay? We, that is not what we do <laughs> today. Um, but for them, this was a part of their religious culture. And so they, they understood, okay, sacrificial lamb. Now look at this. It would later be called the, the Passover lamb. I want you to mark your doorpo- doorpost with the blood of the lamb... And when the Lord comes through Egypt, those houses marked by the blood will be spared from death. Does that sound like anything? Think about this. The destroyer of the tenth plague would pass over those houses that were marked by the blood of the Lamb. Okay. We're not just talking about an event in Egypt, right? The point of Passover is, listen to this, listen to how crazy. The point of Passover is to remember that in God's mercy, those who believed him. You know what belief means? Have faith. Trust him. Those who listen to his instructions and then do whatever he says. Those who believe him were therefore saved from death through the blood of a sacrificial lamb. And listen, when Jesus shares in the Passover, he is 24, less than 24 hours from becoming the sacrificial lamb that takes away the sins of the world on the cross. He's saying this is more than a historical event. I'm bringing something new. I'm inaugurating. This was a picture of what God's about to do in our world. When Jesus steps onto the cross as the sacrificial lamb, everybody marked in the blood of Christ will be spared from what? Sin and death itself. He says there's more going on. There's a lot more going on here. So he keeps taking us through it, right? We're in verse 20. Let's jump back in. When it was evening, he reclined at the table of the twelve. And as they were eating, he said to them, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, one after the other, Is it I, Lord? And all the disciples are coming to him. Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? Then he says, He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for him, for that man, if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, you have said so. I want to take a quick stopping point on this because I want to point out something. Judas is the only one here who refers to Jesus as rabbi. Everybody else comes to Jesus saying, I, is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? Everybody sees and thinks about Jesus as Lord except for one, Judas. Judas comes to him as something less than Lord and Savior. And here's the point. What you think about Jesus is the most important thing. What you think about him 
is the most important thing. And in fact, it reminds me of my favorite quote um, from uh, A.W. Tozer. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. In the mind of Judas, listen to this, Jesus was less than Lord and it cost him everything. His thinking about who Jesus was was wrong and it cost him everything. So as we're walking through this, as we're learning the story, I want you to think about what you think about Jesus. You follow that? Think about what you're thinking about Jesus because it matters. He's more than rabbi. He's more than just a good teacher. He's more than just a humanitarian. He's Lord of all creation. So let's keep going. Verse 26. Now, as they were eating, again, this is a meal around a table. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Oh, you broke script. Because there's, in the Passover, there's a script. This, this is what this cup is. This is what these herbs are about. This is what we do with the lamb bone. This is what this bread is about. And Jesus says, take this. I want you to eat it. This is my body. Jesus is taking us into something new. It's not a picture that we see from the Old Testament. It's a new thing that Jesus is doing. And he's doing it through this. In fact, here's the thing. I'm fascinated by how often we see bread show up throughout Scripture. I'm just interested in stuff like that, I guess because I nerd out a little bit. Listen to this. Ready? Manna from heaven. The Israelites are liberated from Egypt. They're wandering through the wilderness for 40 years trying to get to the promised land, which should have taken them two weeks. Think about that journey. And then in the whole time, God is providing them this mysterious, flaky, bread-like stuff. Why? Because he is the sustainer. You lived in Egypt for 430 years. I need to help you reconnect the dots. I'm the sustainer. I'm the one who provides for you. I'm the one who's going to get you where you need to go. I am the bread for you. I will provide it. He provided manna in the temple and in the tabernacle. There was a table and on this table was the bread of the presence. And even now, Jesus in the New Testament in John 6, he says something that is crazy. He says, I am the what? Bread of life. What he's saying is, I will satisfy you. Nothing else can. You can eat everything else. You can eat of everything else and you will be hungry. You can eat of everything else and you will still, your soul will be famished. But Jesus is the bread of life. Even in Jesus' prayer, listen to this. He says, give us today our daily, what? Bread. What is, what is the point of all this? The point is simply that God is inviting us into intimate, dependent relationship with him. And he's using bread as the way to get there. And so we each week take a piece of bread to remind us our God came. Our God came and he satisfies. He will sustain your soul. So, verse 27, let's keep going. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, 
he gave it to them, saying, and hear these words new, all right? We, we read these things so often. Hear it again. Saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant. First off, Jews don't touch blood, okay? That's kind of a bad thing, much less drink it, okay? But Jesus is saying, hold on, hold on, we're going into something new here. We're not talking about an old covenant. We're not talking about an old testament. He's bringing about a new covenant, a new testament. He says, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so the cup of the Passover they think he was using was the third cup called the cup of the blessing. And that was a part of the meal. And the point of drinking this cup is this. By drinking this cup, you are participating, okay, in the atoning work of Jesus on the cross. You know what that means? Two parts separated. Man from God. And atoning brings them back together. Only Christ and the work he did on the cross could deal with sin and bring man and God back together. That's why scripture refers to him. He's our mediator. He's our priest. He's the lamb. He's the one who brings us back to God. And so... The Passover, again, was a foreshadowing of what Jesus was going to do on the cross. Now, blood of the covenant, a new covenant. Because in the Old Testament, what they would do is the sacrificial system is like, oh man, I messed up, I'm going to take my sacrifice to the altar, take my sacrifice to the temple, and they would pay for sins, and then next year I'd do it again because uh, it didn't last that long. But with the new covenant... The perfect lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. That sacrifice doesn't run out somewhere. Jesus' blood is perfect. It brings life to all who are dead. It forgives sins of all sinners. It deals with the consequence of our world. And it doesn't run out. That's what's amazing about this new covenant. We don't have to keep coming back here and in our guilt and shame pay for it again. It doesn't work like that. He's bringing about something new. And then he ends by saying this. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. Here's what I think he's saying. He's saying over the next 24 hours, you're going to feel like that I have been done in by death. You're going to feel like I lost. You're going to feel like the journey we've been on for the last three years was pointless because I'm going to be in the grave. Here's what he's saying. Hold on. Just hold on. Something else is coming. Something new is coming. So just hang in there. I'm not going to drink this for a little bit, but I will drink it anew in something that is coming. So here's the question that I have for us. Why is communion important for us? We just learned so much information, right? Half of it you're like, man, I can probably forget that right now. Okay, so, so why, why is it important for us? Let me give you three words as to why I think this is important for us. Ready? Past, present, future. Past, present, future. I'm going to think about it in these terms. Because communion is where all three of these time dimensions collide. Past, present, future. Past, and future essentially hold hands in the present when we take communion. All right, so let me explain that first. Past. One of the most common commands in Scripture. Does anybody know? One of them is like, fear not, right? Most common command in Scripture. What's another one of the most common commands in Scripture? Remember. Remember how I brought you out of Egypt. Remember 
how I provided for you in the wilderness. Remember how I defeated the armies in the promised land. Remember how I sent the prophets to speak my words to you so that you would know the truth. Remember how I never left you. Remember all these things. And so the most common command is, one of the most common commands in Scripture is, remember, don't forget these things. And in this instant, when you take a piece of bread and a cup, remember the life of Christ. Remember his death on a cross. Remember that he defeated death and walked out of a grave. Remember that he is now seated in a heavenly place, reigning right now. It's not something in the future. Right now, Jesus reigns in our world as his kingdom is coming in. Remember these things. Because if you forget these things, you might lose the meaning of it altogether. So he says, remember these things. Remember the cross. And when you think about remembering, think not like a thoughtless recall. Like, oh man, I remember that time in third grade when, you know, I tripped and fell. That's, that's not, it's, a, it's a, an intentional reviving of the past that directly informs the present. Let me give you an example. Um, you know, I, a couple years ago, I learned to scuba dive, which was crazy awesome. Um, turns out you could die at any moment. Does anybody know this? Okay. Yeah, you can. That's a big deal. So you spend all this time learning what to do, how to breathe, what buttons to press, do all these kind of things. And so on our first diving trip, what was the most important thing for me in the present? Remembering the past training. Like, don't do this. If the goggles fill up, do this. Hit this button to do this. Don't ascend too quickly. Don't do these things. It was in remembering that I could live more fully in the present. That's what we're talking about. When we take communion and we remember the cross, we're reviving, we're reliving that event in our present life to inform us on how to live effectively here and now. When you remember... You are forgiven. Think about this. Everybody, if you're a follower of Jesus, when you remember that you're forgiven by grace, shouldn't that change the way you feel about your guilt or your shame? Shouldn't that, like if you have been forgiven, debt paid, crucified with Christ on a cross, shouldn't that change your present reality? The answer is yes. It should. Which leads us to the next thing, present. The reminder that when we participate in communion, we are actively participating in the body of Christ. And as the body of Christ, everyone looking around going, we are members of this body. We are a part of his kingdom. He is the head. We are the body. We're a part of his mission in our world. And so presently, when you look back and you're reminded of what Christ has done for you, you're reminded of what you are now a part of, and you look around and you're part of his body. We should be saying things then. We should be saying things when we hold the bread and hold the cup. We should be saying things like this. Lord, I'm sorry. And I'm thankful at the same time. I'm sorry because I'm looking at the past going, Man, I really ran from you. Or even my past week, okay? This is why we do this every week. This past week, I did not have your mind. I did not have your mouth for sure. I did not live according to your ways. And so we're saying things like, I'm sorry. And at the same time, saying things like, I'm thankful. Because God, I'm so thankful that I'm not defined by my sin. I'm so thankful that my sin is not the end of me, but you have provided a future for me. So in this moment, you're saying, thank you. 
and I'm sorry, which leads us to the last part of this, the future. Look at verse, um, 1 Corinthians 11. We're going to jump to a new passage now. And this is probably the most well thought out passage of communion, chapters 10 and 11 of 1 Corinthians. So if you want to read it on your own, go for it. But here's what 11 verses 23 and following says. For I received from the Lord, this is Paul speaking, a church planter in the first century, launching all these churches. He says, For I received from the Lord what I'm also delivering over to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Mind on the past. Okay? Same way he took the cup. After supper, saying, this is the cup of the new covenant, present reality, new covenant. That's where we live. Do this in remembrance of me in the past. Now look where it goes. For as often as you eat of the bread and drink of the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The future. When you take communion, we are collectively proclaiming the mission of the kingdom. Here's how cruel this is. By taking communion together, we are saying things like, not only do I have an eternal future, but we become like Christ. Christ was the bread that was broken for humanity. So now in our community, what do we become? Broken bread, poured out juice, so that our world might taste and see how good our God is. By participating in this, we step into the mission of his kingdom. And we are a people, listen, driven by Jesus' invitation to eternity with him, carrying the mission of bringing as many people with him as possible. As many people with us as possible into his kingdom. Here's a quote I want to read from you from a well-known New Testament scholar. His name's N.T. Wright. Here's what he says. He says, The hardest thing about the sacraments, which would be, for us, baptism and communion, okay, these two events that seem very much like rituals but have been essential throughout the church to keep us focused on Christ. The hardest thing about the sacraments is that they invite us to look at time in a different way. They force us to look at time a different way. The term memorial does not mean merely bringing something to mind or remembering. It refers in some way to bringing the past story of the cross, past story and the divine action of the past to the present such that the present audience becomes part of the story and receives the benefit of such actualization. So by taking communion, it's crazy how it's a piece of bread and it's a cup, but it's where past, present, and future all collide when it comes to thinking about the gospel. So think of how brilliant Jesus is. This is the whole story, right? And by establishing this practice for the church of taking communion, Jesus captures the fullness of the gospel and helps us look back, be present, and look forward to what is to come. So that's why we do this. And in fact, what we're going to do is um, we're going to take communion, the Lord's Supper, Eucharist, breaking of bread, love feast. We're going to do this now together. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for us. And then wherever you are, if you're at the campuses, you guys are going to jump into the practice over there. So let me pray for us before we do this. Father, we're so thankful. So thankful for your grace. We're thankful for your word that teaches us about what, why this practice, why this discipline, why this um, sacrament is such a big deal for us. 
Because in a symbol of bread and a cup, we think of almost all of the church history of how you have engaged our world and rescued us from our sin and redeemed us as sons and daughters and given us a purpose as those on mission in your kingdom to make much of you and bring loss to find you. And, and it's all in a symbol. And we're amazed by this. But we're also certainly thankful. And so bless our time as we jump into this together. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.